Well, hello there. It is great to see you and welcome back to another installment of Modern Wealth Management. I'm your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. It sure is great to have you with us today, whether that is after the fact on a video or a podcasting platform, or if you are here with us this morning on the Facebook live stream, all the same, great to have you with us for another wealth management related discussion. Uh, in a few moments, I'll be throwing things over to Derek Hutchins and Ray Kramer of Monon Wealth Management. They'll be driving the conversation forward. Uh, but look, today we've got a really cool episode lined up for you. And, and if you happen to catch our last episode, you'd know that we welcomed on a special guest, Ms. Lisa Curry, to dive in to some you know year-end tax planning strategies amid all of the different proposals that we're seeing these days. You know, Derek and Lisa, they had a great conversation surrounding this. If you missed that episode, I recommend traveling back, checking that out on a podcasting platform. Uh, you know, a lot of good conversation had in that episode. But today we're switching gears a little bit. We've got a different topic lined up for you. But we also, we do have a special guest, though, to discuss this topic. Today, we're lucky to bring on Mr. Greg Johnson, the CEO of Rubicon Crypto, uh, to dive into, you guessed it, what is cryptocurrency? That's really the theme of our conversation today. We're fortunate to have Greg, obviously, Derek and Ray with us today to jump in and address this question because uh, I think it's safe to say that so many of us, we've heard about crypto. We know maybe what it is, but not necessarily how it works and how it has a role within our wealth plan. So there's a lot to unpack within this conversation. So that being said, I'm going to go ahead and throw things over to Derek Ray, uh, Derek and Ray, that is, and they can get the conversation rolling. Guys, good to see you. Welcome aboard. Have at it. It's all yours. All right. Thanks, Ryan. We're thrilled to be here again. And um, really, really excited about this this topic. Um, Ray, I, I think you'd agree with me that over the course of the last couple of years, outside of where's the market going, uh, right. what is cryptocurrency and should I be invested in it is probably one of the main questions that, that comes our way. Yeah, I mean, it started back in 2017. Uh, there was the original kind of run up and frenzy in December of 2017. Then it came down and really kind of disappeared for a couple of years from the mainstream. Yeah. And uh, the past year of the conversations, you know, like you said, outside of normal wealth planning and stuff we normally talk about, this is the number one topic. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how interested people become in cryptocurrency when it doubles in price, right? <laughs> right. Uh, that time period that you said, um, Nobody was interested in it. It was it was going through a little bit of a lull, yeah. and uh, you know I think this year it's it's had a good year. Although recently it's it's had a you know an, another I don't know what 20, 30, 40 percent pullback, which seems right. to be pretty common for for this space. Well, and that that is one thing people need to wrap their heads around. If you are considering getting in crypto and making it part of your investment strategy, you've got to be able to endure some some pretty big whipsaws back and forth. Yeah, uh, it, it operates like no other asset class that we normally deal with. So, you know, just to kind of frame this show up, uh, we are going to bring we're going to bring Greg Johnson uh, on here with us. He's from Rubicon Crypto. He is a cryptocurrency expert. And, you know, Ray, you and I, we have invested some of our own personal capital in cryptocurrencies over the last several years. I uh, I like to kind of frame it as our R&D budget, right? As we're trying out some different investments before we introduce them to clients. Uh, sometimes they go okay and, and sometimes they don't. We never never get to a point of, of showing them to anybody. Right. But, 
you know, I think one of the things that has made the practice that we've built, Ray, this Monon Wealth Management, I think one of the things that's made it special is the fact that we acknowledge that we're not an expert on every single topic. Right. It's actually kind of the, uh, it's the genesis for the VFO, the virtual family office. And that is, is that we attempt to surround our clients with true experts in different fields and then perform a coordinated effort to get great results for our clients. And, and you know, we, we've done it last time uh, we brought in Lisa Curry from the tax side. We've got other tax professionals as well. But, uh, you know, from a legal standpoint, we may bring in some different attorneys. But today, as we're really going to talk and dive into cryptocurrencies, we wanted to introduce to our client base, uh, to our, our viewers, uh, Greg Johnson from Rubicon Crypto, because he truthfully is a, a cryptocurrency expert. So, Greg, would you mind joining us on here? I'd love to. Good, good morning, Great. good afternoon, good evening as it applies. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, and by the way, I've attempted to explain cryptocurrency to a lot of people for a long time. And I heard Greg talk a couple weeks ago and on his uh, webinar, and I said, Derek, we got to book him because he's he articulated exactly what I'd like to say, but don't have the capacity to do. Well, you're being modest already, fellas, because I think, you know, between the content that I know you have been putting out to your community, it's to be commended. You guys have taken a leadership role in virtually every one of, I think, the important issues that American families should be thinking about with their, their family planning, their estate planning, whether it's the virtual family office or whistle-stop reports. I, I think you guys are taking tremendous leadership. So enough of the false modesty. You guys have done an amazing job. Oh, thank you. We appreciate that. Uh, so let's get into let's get into what we're here for today, and that's really talking about cryptocurrency. Sure. Um, Greg, can you kind of frame the conversation by yeah. giving us a background as to what is cryptocurrency? G give us a good definition. Yeah, I, I'll I'll do that if you don't mind. Let indulge me for a minute, fellas, because I think it's important to kind of let everybody know that's tuning in that as we're talking here in December, the end of December of 2021, it's been a historic year in the financial services industry in general, but especially so in crypto. And, and it's important to understand that we're having a conversation because if anything, 2021 was the year where crypto and digital assets gained legitimacy across the board. And what I mean by that is, 2021 saw literally trillions of dollars of money pour in, not from individual households and families, but from institutional investors. These are the kinds of folks that are sovereign wealth funds, uh, individual corporations. We've seen endowment funds, uh, you know, contribute significant amounts of money into this space. We saw companies such as Visa and MasterCard align their business models to incorporate crypto for the decades to come. We've even seen in the government, the recent bipartisan legislation that was passed for the infrastructure bill included crypto. And I think what that did in the minds of many people is this narrative about it's only for criminals, it's not a legitimate industry, that went out the window in 2020. So I, I want to just kind of uh, set, set my opening remarks around grounding everybody into the fact that whether you are interested in crypto, whether you like it, whether you think it's malarkey, the, 
The reality is what you cannot argue in good faith anymore is whether or not the industry has legitimacy and it's now pervasive throughout society. And those are the things that I think get us interested at Rubicon Crypto is whether or not we think the future is going to be not more technologically dependent, but whether or not the future will be increasingly digital. And that's a conclusion that we came to. And that's why we're advocating on behalf of our clients and speaking to this. But um, back to the original question, because I know you had one back about five minutes ago. And the question is, you know, what is cryptocurrency? And I guess for, for this kind of an audience, I'd ask people to think about money a little bit differently for starters. We're so blessed in this country, we just take so many things for granted. You know, the United States has been the dominant economic power because for the most part, in the last 120 years, we have been the reserve currency for the world. And so we enjoy a certain station, a certain perspective that other countries just don't enjoy. So we tend to think about money differently. And that works to our advantage and our disadvantage. Cryptocurrency is like many other forms of money that is exchanged in different places around the world, but certainly not here in the 48 contiguous or in our two friendly states, Alaska and Hawaii. Okay. But there are a lot of cultures, a lot of countries that view money differently than the paper currency, what we call fiat currency today. And so I want to also uh, bring in a little bit of trying to suspend a little bit. We're going to ask people to think more broadly about the notion of money, not just from an American point of view, because it's really important that, that we do that for a bit. The other thing that we have to realize is that it was not by accident, not by accident, that Bitcoin, the crypto that started it all, came about right after the meltdown uh, of the fin global financial system. Hmm. And so to really get at the answer to your question, cryptocurrencies, in particular what are called peer-to-peer -peer currencies, like Bitcoin, and for now we'll put Dogecoin, some people have heard of that before, we don't invest in it, but it is, it fits the definition of what a real cryptocurrency is. I know we're going to get into what's a token, what's a coin, all of that a little bit later on, but it's not an accident that the industry that we're talking about was born in the aftermath of the worst crisis financially that the world has seen since the Great Depression. And what the people that uh, came up with the idea around crypto was basically they were able to finally string together what many people had been talking about for decades, the notion of having a currency not tied to a government that would not need third-party institutions to validate all of the purchases, all of the checks and balances that fuel our monetary system. The idea was why should we trust the banks and the government who let things get to such a state 13, 14 years ago with uh, the full ability to control our financial future? when we now have the technology and the cryptography that can allow us to have an economic system that, that literally removes that third party, that centralized third party. Now on the surface, that's a radical and scary notion, but 
there are many currency systems that already operate, operate like that throughout the world. But that is the roots of this whole crypto business. The world is coming apart. The trusted parties, the global banks, the investment banks, central banks, governments, let, let us down. And technologists and computer engineers said, wait a second. We now have the computational power using modern technology to send messages using computer crypto, cryptography in a way that we can exchange money for goods and services. And we don't need a bank to say, you know what, Derek, the money's there, you can move it, or this purchase is approved. Yeah. That's the core, the basic notion about how crypto started was to say we can do it better. We don't have to pay a fee or to seek permission in order to transfer our money to another party uh, anymore. The technology has been there. And some of your, your listeners and viewers right now may have heard of this Satoshi character who was the author of the intellectual or academic white paper that was the birth of Bitcoin. Nobody knows exactly who this Satoshi person is, whether it's a lady, a gent, or a team of people. And there are, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of theories about who it is. But the reality is the academic argument came about because we finally had the computational power to have a system that could be permissionless and not involve the approval of a bank, a Western Union, a government to determine somebody has money here, the money's going to go there, etc. That's at a at a really basic level, how the crypto industry evolved and approximately the timeline that it evolved. And one, one, one anecdote, if I can share, if it's okay, fellas, to get people to think about um, the question we often get, we discussed this off camera before we started yeah. the podcast. They often say, how can you have money if it's not backed up by a sovereign government, right? We hear this all the time from folks and that really, yeah, our experience is, is that it always is, right? I mean, up until this thing of cryptocurrency. Correct. And, and, that, and that is, again, a wildly American notion, which I love, but it's not the way that the rest of the world thinks. So, for example, if we weren't fortunate enough to be born in this country and we grew up living in Argentina, Venezuela, Israel, Hungary, or another 27 countries that have experienced hyperinflation, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, they would tell you in language not suitable for this, uh, this particular broadcast that they don't care whether or not their government backs the currency because it's what? It's, it's worthless because they, they don't manage the system. So let's set that aside for a second before I tell you maybe a way to think about this. Another thing to think about is there are many people, including many people in the wealth management industry and the advisory profession, that are concerned about our Federal Reserve's policy. When we keep on printing money, whatever the good reasons to justify it, it weakens the purchasing power of the American dollar. And as a matter of fact, with so many other nations, what they call pegging their currencies to our dollar, when we print more money, it hurts us when we go to the store. Our purchasing power goes down but it hurts those other countries that have aligned with the US dollar for their currency exponentially, not linearly, not the same, but
but exponentially. And so there are big things taking place now where more countries may reconsider whether or not they want to align with the U.S. dollar. And that's maybe a subject for an entirely different subject at another time. But that is some of the origin stories of, of thinking about Bitcoin and different currencies. But I want to make an argument to you guys and to some of the folks listening that they today actually participate in a currency system that is not backed by the U.S. government. And I know people are going, what is he talking about? No, I don't. There's no way to do it. And, I, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll go along with you. And Ray, I'll pick on you for a second. I'll say, Ray, do you currently have a credit card? Do you use a credit card at all? Yes, I do. And do you have an American Express card or have you ever had an American Express card before? Yes. So when you purchase on the American Express card, do you get anything when you make a purchase? What do they give you that most people kind of like? They give you yeah, points. points. As a matter of fact, it was uh, during the 80s that the a couple of the titans of American Express, Ken Chenault, who went on to become the CEO of American Express, he gets credit for coming up with the idea for the membership rewards loyalty program. And so people love their points. But if I was going to ask you, where do you keep your points? Are they in the office behind you in the drawer? Do you keep them at home in the safe? Are they in the mattress or in the bank? Are they digital? You don't even know where they are, but they're there when you need them. Yep. That's something to think of. When we think about the American dollar, the euro, or any other currency that is backed by a nation, it has four properties to it. It is a store of value, a unit of account, it's a medium of exchange, and to make it all work or not, there's a social contract with the citizenry that said, you know what, we buy into this system, we support it, and that's what makes it work. Well, think about this. Many people, believe it or not, have millions of those membership reward points. And in the last five years, with the emergence of Amazon Prime and with PayPal and many other payment programs, more people are using their points for payments than they ever did before. But you can make an argument that loyalty programs like credit card point systems, frequent flyer miles, they have a store of value. They are a unit of account. They are a medium of exchange. And for many people, I'm sure some of you listening, they have a lot of the points, a lot of value that they're using. The social contract is between the company and the customer saying that they're not going to tarnish with this and it's going to be around. But people buy into it. Uh, and they buy into it in a big, big way. Now, what I'm, what I'm not saying is Bitcoin is like membership reward points. <laughs> but what I am saying is those in that Bitcoin, the U.S. dollar, membership reward points, to a certain degree, all have those attributes of what defines money. What defines money. Do you know, as a matter of fact, I'm broadcasting live from the good state of Georgia. And here in Georgia, like most other states in the United States, do you know if there are people that don't retain quality advisors like you, that if they don't have an estate plan, that those same membership reward points, that they're subject to probate? Did you know that those points, if there's a divorce, they are divisible? You better believe they're divisible because they're worth a lot. Hmm. And as a matter of fact, there are thousands of people that have a hundred million points or more around the world at the wow. aforementioned card company. So. It may seem fantastical to some, but I suppose no more so than 
you know, some of the ways that people accumulate and, and spend money, you can see how it could add up over time. So I'm not sure if that helps or confuses, but I, I, I think we use money in different ways than we realize that have nothing to do with our US dollar. And I just wanted to share that as an example that might anchor people a little bit into the idea of we do participate in currency systems that are not backed by the US government. But what I like about that analogy is it, it, it allows you to expand your thinking to what this space is with something everybody has. Exactly. Exactly. And the same properties are are true in different to, to different degrees. So Bitcoin, for example, satisfies those properties. It is a unit of account. It is a medium of exchange, albeit not the best one, but it is. OK, and it does have a store of value to it. And what, what I think gets many people exciting, we talked off camera about this in the past as well, is what's exciting about Bitcoin and crypto as an industry is we're talking about something that's at its infancy. You could make the argument it's actually prenatal at this point in time. You know, you have 230 million users. Uh, that is a drop in the bucket. It's only going to get started. What does that mean to the value? Well, there's, there's compelling arguments that would suggest quite a bit favorably. Um, but that's but that's maybe a, a primer as to what is cryptocurrency. Think about all the spy movies we like, the Da Vinci Codes of the world. They all involve a secret device that allows you to send messages in secret. Well, we now have computers using code that can do that in a way that is that is virtually impossible to break, to break. And that is how we've gotten to this next level in the evolution of money. We've gone from bartering to mining, you know, large, valuable, precious metals and stones to making coins out of them to paper money to the evolution in payments and fintech. And now this is the next evolution that is only possible because of the advancements in technology. So, uh, you know, I love the way that you you gave us kind of the history and um you know, the, the reasoning behind the technology. I, I absolutely love that. And that's one of the reasons that I asked you on the show, because I think that you frame that better than most um, in this space. And, you know, when I talk with clients or, you know, even, even some older advisors, and what they say to me is, I totally buy into the technology. Mm -hmm. And you, you did a great job there, Greg, of telling us how the technology works, how it can be more useful, how it's advanced, and so on. I, I, most people believe, hey, the technology, there's something there. Yeah. What I don't understand is then, you know, if you invest in cryptocurrencies, it's not like investing in a technology though is it it's not like investing in apple or it's not like invest it's not like investing in oracle you know um it's it trades more like a commodity yes based, on, based more and so you know
advisors, one of the tough things I have is, you know, it's really easy for me to explain the technology like you just did. I could just play your video. But then I go to the price chart on Bitcoin and that thing moves up and down, not independent of the adoption or the technology that's evolving. Can you can you talk to that a little bit? Because that's that seems worrisome to me. Well, I think in any emerging, you have to go back to think about whether or not you believe this is a mature uh, sleeve of investment categories or they are in their infancy. If you, if you buy into the fact that we're at the earliest stages, the volatility that we're seeing is reminiscent of many of the other brands you just mentioned, wisely mentioning before. The spirit of your question also gets to one of the things that's kind of like the toothpaste out of the tube or the genies out of the bottle, it's too late. Unfortunately, the word cryptocurrency has become a catch-all for many different facets of the digital and crypto universe. And that's unfortunate, but it is the way that it is. But let me try to kind of break it down even, even a little bit uh, more because there are some currencies, coins that truly behave and meet the definition of being a currency that we talked about earlier in the discussion. And then there are other projects that most assuredly resemble the behavior and the mechanics of a, of a technology investment that you might make. Okay. And so there's, there's a part of that. And for everybody that's out there, you know, a coin is a peer to peer used for primarily medium of exchange, but there are also tokens which have more of the properties of assets. And I think that's some of the sorting out that the regulatory community is still looking to do. You rightfully pointed out that these are treated like commodities. And we do know something about commodities. Commodities can oftentimes trade in a very volatile nature. That's I why I compared them to that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we, we haven't shut down the commodities industry. I think what we try to do is volatility is the friend of good stewardship, uh, you know, like the kind of stewardship that you guys provide, in my opinion. So I, I think that that's not something to fear. I actually think it's something to learn from. You know, I, I, you guys have a quote on your website I think is really cool by one of the longest serving leaders of a nation uh, in the world. And I think the quote goes something like the lessons of the past should kind of inform us to ensure that there are lasting legacies for generations to be born. And I think that was the president of, I want to say Cambodia or one of the nations. And he's been, you know, in play for a long, long time. And what that says to me is we should learn not to, not to fear the unknown, but to be measured about it. That really speaks to our approach at Rubicon, which is all about common sense and rational exuberance about this. I want to say a couple of things about my personal belief. I think you fellas know this already, but I spent 25 years as a CFP practitioner. I, I actually was an executive in the financial services and the wealth advisory industry for many years. So I am not a crypto maximalist. And so we believe that clients should be taking a very modest exposure, but we also believe that these are the future. 
that these asset classes, these investment opportunities are really some of the most important developments in technology since the immersion of Web 2.0, meaning you know, the, the social platforms and everything else, that, that ability for us to market and to be a part of an ecosystem versus just there being an internet. So I want to be very clear. We really lean towards having a very not maximalist approach. In other words, a maximalist are some of the people out there who've got everything into Bitcoin. Everything. We're going to go, Greg, we're going to go into to the how, how and how much here in just a few oh, okay, minutes. Cool. I want to cover a couple other topics, um, you know, before we before we get into that. Sure. One of the things that, you know, through our conversation and certainly you've hit on it here, you talk about that this cryptocurrency is in its infancy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, gosh, you know, I remember the first time somebody introduced me to Bitcoin, they said it's going to a thousand dollars. I thought that thing's never going to a thousand dollars. You know, here we are today. I think it's hovering somewhere. Uh, it's bouncing around. I think it's around fifty thousand. And there's projections of it. Get, I've heard a hundred thousand. I've heard a million. Um, can you make a case for the fact that even though it seems like now Bitcoin's been around for a while, that it is in its infancy? And then tell us, you know, what are the dynamics that would cause it to maybe go to a hundred thousand or even that million that we, you know that we've heard about? What what would what would happen in this world to make that to make that a reality? There's a couple of things, and I think you've mapped out the current state uh, incredibly well, Derek. So I uh, again kudos on that. But a couple of factors. One of the things that both academics and those in the financial community, the analyst community, that are, are optimistic about Bitcoin all agree on is in the code, in, the, in the, the absolute of Bitcoin, there is a finite amount that can be produced of it, okay? So there's a finite amount that can be produced. What that means is when there's a scarcity or a finite amount of anything, it tends to serve as a deflationary attribute, okay? So that's one of the major central factors that those in the, in the community that say it will exceed 100, 500, you've heard the numbers, they're, they're, they're fantastical. And yet, are they? Given what we've seen uh, take place in many technologies over time, not just in the crypto world, but you know, I, I, I just want to interject an anecdote here because this might resonate. I'm willing to make a bet that in 1997, if you gentlemen recommended to your practice that you've been following this very interesting company that's named after a river in South America, and in 1997 they have an idea and all they want to do is they want to uh, uh, sell books, but they don't want to do it at a bookstore, they want to do it on the line. And at that time, nobody's buying anything online, but you told people to buy into it. My question to you is, would those clients be very happy with you today? The very. answer is very happy. The question that I would have is that 13 years after you made the recommendation, my, my willingness is they probably are slightly less happier with you because the investment in, of course, Amazon was flat and actually lost money given inflation. 
And so you think about the duration. What Amazon did was it got to scale more than anything else. To become the store of everything, they needed scale. This leads into the second piece of the answer to your question. What gives the potential for that valuation to achieve is the adoption rate globally. Right now, we're seeing the adoption at a couple hundred million at the earliest stage of the internet. And so you, you do the math on that. So that is one of the other key factors that has to take place in order for some of those more sizable valuations to take place over time. Those are, in fact, the two most important aspects of it. And, and as a follow-up to that, the fact that there is a finite supply, then you truly do have a supply and demand for it, unlike the dollar, where they can just keep printing more and more. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. You know, look, I am not an economist. I just look like, no, I'm just, I'm not an economist. But I was in Washington, D.C. earlier this month uh, and uh, working with the Atlantic Council where I contribute and we were having conversations about just that very topic and also having conversations about the need for a digital Bretton Woods framework to make sure that the new world order of digital money has some governance around it so that we can all be successful and thrive in the, in the, in the new economy. But that speaks directly to one of the big concerns that folks have about the ability to just print more of this stuff. And by the way, I think this goes without saying, um, the majority of the crypto projects out there in the world are nonsense. That doesn't invalidate the fact that there are substantive, many, many hundreds of projects that are doing important work, advancing the way we not only think about technology, but the way that we think about commercial models as well. And so you bring up the discussion of what's called tokenomics. So part of what makes sound financial analysis for equities does carry over into the crypto and digital world. However, there's a big chunk of it that has more to do with some of the unique properties of working with crypto and digital. And the study of that is called tokenomics. And so when you have a group of founders of a project that have the ability to flood the market with tokens on an arbitrary basis, well, that could be helpful for some and less so for others. The other thing that we try to advise people that are dabbling in this to, is to, first of all, don't dabble. <laughs> but we, we say, if you're gonna do that, you know, something to look out for is, you know, in some of the, the well-known meme coins that we all have heard about, probably they're tuning into this broadcast, mm -hmm. you know, some of these projects have one individual that owns more than 20% of the outstanding tokens in circulation. That, to me, is dangerous. And that's so you'd be talking about like Dogecoin? On I, may that. Or may not, I may or may not be. Yes. Yes, I am. And the reason I'll say you that. You may not, but I'm talking about it. I will say that. I'm teasing because you can see if you want to put the time in, you can go on chain and you can look and see not who the individual lady or gent or trust or entity is by name, but you can see them represented by the code of their wallet that they that they Okay. Have. So, so we really try to look for the technologies we think are going to add value, meaning money, in commercial use right away in this new ecosystem. 
but you have to dig deeper. And even with that, people should understand like all emerging asset classes, we could be flat for many years, we could have volatility. Oh, by the way, continuing with that Amazon story, once it really took off, after it took off, it also had four more parabolic moves down, meaning it dropped more than 50%. So I, I, just, I just caution everybody to think about, would you be really uh, happy uh, if you had some of that Amazon in 97 and you kept it? Yes, but you'd have to be true to the cause and you'd have to buy into the notion of what they were all about. And that, of course, as you advise your clients, is one of the key ingredients to being successful in any investment. Understand generally, directionally, you know, what you're getting involved with. You know, right. one last thing on that subject, just real quick, because we get it. It's like, it's too complicated. I don't understand crypto. I don't understand it. And I, I, while I appreciate that, um, I also point out to people, they own positions in technology stocks. They do not know how a, a, a computer chip works. They don't know how it's made. They don't know how it, how it connects the world. But they, they, in all seriousness, come to a general level of understanding that this is important today, but perhaps even more important in the future. And that's really where we're trying to get folks. You can learn about the mechanics of how this works. It's, it's incredibly uh, exciting, and it really taps into my own curiosity about how these technologies work. But even at a basic level, you have to, the first question folks need to come to is, do you or do you not see a future that is more digital in nature? And the answer to that question for us is a resounding yes. And so from there, it's now informing how you think about uh, participating. Yeah. And that's, that's, where, that's where our country was born, our country, our company was born. We didn't see the kind of options available for everyday investors that we thought were appropriate. And so we said, let's go do something about it. Let's get into that. Let's get into that now. Um, you know, I, the majority of our clients uh, are far away from wanting to be cryptocurrency experts. Yeah. Matter of fact, they don't want to be. Okay. <laughs> what they want to do is take care of their family. Uh, they want to use their assets to, to do some good in the world and uh, really just view cryptocurrencies not as a stake in the ground, but as an investment that can, that can help them further some of those causes. Boy, so my question to you is, is that, uh, is one, should the retail investor be getting involved in cryptocurrency. I'm talking about the serious investors. Um, and if so, how much should they be, should they putting in? And then with all the different options that exist out there, you know, ETFs, uh, Coinbase, or even institutional versions like, like Rubicon, um, yeah. how should they be navigating this world? Well, you, you, you're asking all the right questions today, fellas, honestly. And the way that I would respond to that is the answer is uh, yes. Yes, the average Main Street American investor should have exposure uh, into this emerging industry. But that exposure really needs to be governed based on common sense and not the hype 
that too often defines this industry. You know, earlier this month, actually, was the 25th anniversary of a speech that the first celebrity Federal Reserve Chairman, Alan Greenspan, gave. He gave the speech on December 5th, 1996, and he said to a dinner filled with a room full of, guess what, economists, and he said, there exists now a climate of irrational exuberance. And at the core of what we wanted to do as a firm at Rubicon was to make crypto and digital asset investing, we wanted to make it a devoid of that irrational exuberance. We wanted it grounded in common sense and with rational exuberance. And this is what I mean by that. First of all, as a general rule of thumb, we think that the most that people today, and we, permit, we reserve the right to change this allocation, but today we recommend that folks have no more than three to 5% of their overall investment portfolio, qualified and non-qualified, add those two together, and no more than three to 5%. You know, because I always hear back, somebody wants to go over that allocation. They say, well, I'm a long-term investor. Well, after 30 years in the space, most of the long-term investors I know uh, don't respond well to short-term volatility. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they don't behave like long-term investors. So by having a 3 to 5% allocation, you will never miss out. You'll never miss out. And that 3 to 5% is enough to take a portfolio that might otherwise return, you know, 10, 11, 12% over a duration and put the juice into it that, that I think people get excited about. So that's number one. What, what we saw at Rubicon was a really big gap in the choices that American investors had at their disposal. What we saw was on the one hand, folks could, if they were so inclined, go on to and do it themselves. They could Coinbase or something Coinbase like that. Or any type of an exchange. Yeah, you're right, Derek. Whether it's Coinbase or Kraken or whoever it is, they could go and do it themselves. If that's what you like, go for it. That's not what we do. Okay. So you have that, you have that side of the shelf. And then on the other side of the ledger, there were some of these early uh, investment trust products. Some people have heard of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. They've heard of uh, Scaramucci's Skybridge uh, uh, products, and in my view, it's better than having zero. But these that's what th that's what we've used up to this point when somebody has asked for it. Okay, so so that was the only choice that folks had. Those are derivative products. I'll leave it to those companies to share or discuss their own performance. But but we all know, and so do the clients. I think mostly that it kind of sort of tracks the behavior of a crypto. They get all the same risk, virtually the same risk threshold, but there isn't the same return capabilities. But let me go back to what I said, better than zero, much better than zero. What we said was, why wouldn't we create uh, portfolios that are kind of what folks are already familiar with in the investment management world. Working with registered investment advisors like yourself, there's something that the layperson may not know this term, but you fellas surely do, separately managed accounts, which are custom portfolios. Traditionally, those have been available to clients that have stocks and bonds in them. 
And unlike a mutual fund, it allows you to do creative things around this time of year, especially for taxes, so right. that you can actually maybe take advantage of a harvest, a tax loss harvest and offset something else you've done really well in your portfolio, in your situation. Not only that, uh, these SMA accounts, these, these separately managed portfolios, allow for people to own actual equities or bonds if that was the case. What we said was, gosh, why couldn't we bring that same approach to asset management, meaning a professional manager looking over it every single day of the week, and I mean seven days a week, because the market doesn't sleep in crypto. There's no non-trading hours, it's 24 seven. What if we could bring professional management? What if we could partner with the only regulated crypto exchange in the United States, and we did? Would that be of interest to customers out there? And the answer is we've underestimated the demand for that type of common sense crypto investment. So we've essentially created two portfolios at Rubicon that allow people to actually own diversification of crypto portfolios, one of which has uh, pretty much a heavy weight towards the Bitcoin and the Ethereum. Those are the two largest crypto uh, projects that are out there by market capitalization. And we also have another portfolio that is a little bit more of the early stage projects that we think have the potential, the potential for that really crazy parabolic return. And we do that partnering with Gemini, which was founded by the way, for some of your listeners, they may not know the name Gemini, but they may recall the founders. The founders are the Winklevoss twins. <laughs> and the Winklevoss twins are the ones who sued uh, Zuckerberg because they believe that, and they're, from their perspective, Zuckerberg stole the idea from Facebook, cut, tried to cut them out of it. And that was what that movie uh, that was made about 10 years ago with Justin Timberlake, yeah. another Indiana native, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right about that? I think so. You and, know, uh, the, those, those twins will not go away, will they? They won't. And they're, they're on a mission to exceed, exceed what Meta is now. We have to call it Meta now. Yeah. But, but in any event, what they did, fellas, speaks to our, our shared appreciation for compliance and regulation and doing things the right way. You know, they formed Gemini, as I said, the only regulated crypto exchange in the United States in the state of New York. And when I ran the businesses for American Express's wealth management platform a few years back, and I had a few thousand advisors ultimately reporting up into my organization, I can tell you that of all the states that I've been uh, a part of the industry, New York is special <laughs> in a lot of ways. And they are a very aggressive regulatory state. So they've been for 12 years, this company from day one has been regulated like a bank. So when we talk to folks and they have concerns about, well, what about regulation? Well, there's always the, the, the impact of shifting regulation in the traditional investment world, not just in crypto. But if there was to be some type of major regulatory event, we think aligning ourselves with the only exchange that has been completely transparent from day one is a very good thing. Yeah. And uh, we're very happy with that, that cautious approach that they bring to crypto. And that doesn't mean the other exchanges aren't good. It just means for us, where we manage other people's money, we manage private money, institutional money, you get the idea. Yeah. We wanted the most conservative partner uh, to do that work with. 
Hey, Greg, a, a quick interjection here. When I first listened to your call, kind of around this rational exuberance um, aspect of it and being on the infancy of this, which a lot of people think, well, if Bitcoin's at 50,000, how are we at the infancy? You know, Derek and I have been doing this for over 20 years. And up until we started our company seven years ago, we worked at institutions, we did asset allocation, you know, put it in funds. We showed the periodic charts with the different asset classes. And the one thing that stood out to me that on your call was, this is the first time in our career we have a completely new asset class. Yeah. And you referenced institutions starting to buy, you know, oh. this year, yeah. but it hasn't been rolled out to where if you're going to your, you know, standard wrap program, uh, you know, at a, a, a Merrill Lynch or whatever, and they're saying, okay, here's our 6040 with a slice of Bitcoin or, you know, crypto. It's not there. It's not there. So the no. demand will eventually explode if we know that this is coming, correct? Oh, it is most definitely going to come. I mean, I, I try to keep my comments in the rationally exuberant category. Right. But yes. And that's why I referenced it again, is rationally. Yeah, we, we're, we try and tone it down, but fellas, you mentioned, you know, I was you know, I was interviewed for Money Magazine, whether they use the interview or not, you know how those things go, but they were looking for crypto predictions, but therein lies the big one that lies ahead. Once, and, and what, the, what the institutions have done over the last couple of years is very shrewd strategic planning. So think about this. It's not me, it's not Greg calling this out. I mean, the gentleman is on the record. One of the most successful CEOs in the financial services industry is the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon. And Jamie has gone on the record in some of his sound bites, essentially uh, talking about how the crypto industry is nonsense and so forth, which, right. which kind of sounds a little, sounds a little bit, <laughs> some, some hypocrisy there, because when he turns his head over here, he's directing his executive team and his treasury to invest billions and billions into the IP involving in blockchain IP. They're spending billions and directing that to change the operational structure of how these firms work. And it just, it sounds a little bit uh, hypocritical from the establishment industry that is being disrupted to kind of critique it. And yet they will participate and they will advance it. But I do think the early adopters are the kind of folks like you fellows. You've always been entrepreneurial. Uh, you tend to, to take a, a very open mind and curious view of the world and the way what you bring forth into the content that I've seen you bring. And I think that we're partnering with the registered investment advisor industry, not those old established broker dealers, because the registered investment advisor has a fiduciary responsibility not to listen to sound bites but to listen to you know, what's, what's going on and to do your own due diligence. Look, no, anybody would be foolish to pick on um, uh, the Oracle from Omaha. Would anybody really wanna you know, pick on him? But I wanna be, let's be clear, he missed big time Web 2.0. I mean, he missed it completely. And he missed Amazon entirely, entirely. Sometimes when you see the explosion of technology, because at the core of crypto and digital, it is this incredible, incredible exponential technology that's taking place. Think back to when you guys first started in the industry, what was going on? 
Now we can't even go to the bathroom without the phone in our pocket. It's unbelievable. When you think about we've all we've all lived in a world that has been transformed. Why would we be so close-minded to assume that that's it? Like it's not going to do that again. And so if we think about technology, exponential technology, 30 linear steps is 30 linear steps. 30 exponential steps is the distance to the moon and halfway back, like literally. <laughs> and so we're at a point where you're seeing exponential technology. I don't think your viewers are interested in the discussion around quantum computing and qubits. If but, they are, I'm not, so. Okay. But, but it's this, <laughs> this incredible world that we're living in right now before our eyes. Technologists are literally changing the world. It's an incredible time. And we've already seen it. I just, I just want to ground everybody. 20 years ago in the industry, you did not have the tools to service your clients the way that you do now, to communicate with them to give them advice and counsel, to support them. It, you know, everything has been radically changed. It's not going to stop. It's not flat, everybody. And these are the kinds of things that we need to think about. That's awesome. So, you know, what I hear is, is that, um, that it, for, the, for the clients that are interested in cryptocurrencies, let's not get ridiculous about it. A no. three to 5% allocation is appropriate that's right um it's going to be a bumpy ride and Guaranteed. yet there's more tools available today to invest in a rational way than at any than what there have been in the past that's 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 correct and you know again we we are very adamant about that if you want to do this yourself it's a lot of fun but you're going to have to put your time in and really pay attention if that's not you, then that's what we're doing. You know, uh, we think there's a lot of smart people out there. We have a uh, Mike Rizard, who's our chief investment officer. This guy is an academic giant, uh, Rhodes Scholar, summa cum laude, Georgia Tech slacker. I'm joking. All he did was, you know, be a, be a, a decorated varsity athlete. Then he wrote dozens of patents uh, individually and collectively with teams in the, in the, in the tech industry. And then he managed hundreds of millions of dollars in the wealth management industry. We're, we're, we're very proud of the proprietary IP that we have at Rubicon. But, but I think what's most important early is for investors to know that you just need to be engaged and you don't have to put that much in in order to participate in the future of where money and where digital is heading. And that's something that's it's so important, professional management, appropriate diversification, and then having the ability uh, for those out there that are in need of tax law, tax harvesting, uh, the capabilities that we provide are there, and that we ground our own value proposition by aligning with the most regulated crypto exchange, frankly, in the world. And we think that's the appropriate combination for folks. Great. Well, Greg, we sure do appreciate you coming on and giving us uh given us a, a view of this landscape, this cryptocurrency universe. I love the fact that you come to it, not only uh, understanding the crypto world, but also understanding wealth management and asset allocation, because that's actually what you've done most of your life. So true. Uh, so you, you've been in our world a lot longer than you've been in this crypto world as, as everybody's, you know, this is, is pretty new. 
really do appreciate your, you know, your words today, your, your thoughts, and, uh, and just thank you for your time. Well, likewise, fellas, I appreciate, I admire the work that you're leading on behalf of your clients. You are embodying what it means to be a fiduciary. And uh, let's just say that I don't believe that that's uh, universal in our industry. Uh, so congratulations and continued success. Thank Merry you, Christmas sir. to everybody and happy holidays. Thank you. Ryan, why don't you close this up, buddy? All righty, fellas. Hey, really nice job. Appreciate you guys uh, and your time being able to be with our audience today, answer some of these questions as to what really is cryptocurrency. So appreciate you guys. And hey, look, we want to take one final moment, as always, to thank you, of course, our audience for jumping on board with us here on the show today. And do me a favor. If you like what you saw, you benefited from the conversation today, do us a favor and like the show, comment on it, subscribe on whichever platform you're checking us out on. And then, of course, share this information with friends, family, business owners, anybody that you would feel that could benefit from some of these conversations because I've said it before and I'll continue to say it again. They're meant for you. This is, these are modern wealth management strategies that we're bringing to you with each episode. We've got some great guests, great topics dialed up for future episodes and we would hate to have you miss out on any of those. So for Greg Johnson, for Derek Hutchins, for Ray Kramer, I'm Ryan Ruff. We're saying so long. We thank you guys so much for joining us. Have a great day and we appreciate you. We'll see you on the next one of Modern Wealth Management.